Worldwide parent coach and conscious educator, Sue DeCaro, is on a mission to revitalize the joy in parenting. Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a podcast designed to help parents all over the world create deeper connections with themselves and their children while overcoming life's daily parenting challenges. Listen in if you want to bring more laughter, love, and enjoyment to your home life. Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a place for all things parenting. I am your host, Sue DeCaro. Today, I am pleased to introduce my amazing guest, Nir Eyal, a graduate and instructor in Sanford's Graduate School of Business. Nir has studied and taught behavioral design with and to industry leaders and scientists. He writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business at nearandfar.com. And his writings have been featured in Harvard Business Review, TechCrunch, Time, The Week, Inc., and Psychology Today. Welcome, Nir. I am super excited to have you here in this episode to dive into our incredible conversation. Thanks so much, Sue. Great to be here. So as you have shared in your new book, which I've gotten a sneak peek at, Indistractable, distractions are nothing new and did not begin with social media like many of us may feel they have. Tell us a little bit about how distractions are a huge problem in today's world for both parents and children, this human struggle. Yeah, so you're absolutely right, Sue, that distraction is nothing new. In fact, uh, Socrates and Aristotle talked about akrasia, this tendency that we all have to do things against our better interest. Uh, and, and frankly, you know, we parents have been complaining about the latest mind-melting distraction forever. And uh, you know, today it's Fortnite and Facebook. In my generation, it was television and video games. Before that, it was uh, the radio, in fact, there were, there were magazines talking about the, the corrosive effects of radio on the brain. I mean, it, this, you know, whether it's rock and roll music and rap music or you know, just keep going back far enough, you'll actually get to Socrates bemoaning the written word as just the latest example of a technology that was going to, quote, enfeeble men's minds. So this, uh, this fear of, of something that controls our brains and makes us do something we don't want to do is a very old fear. Uh, not that distraction isn't real. It definitely is a real phenomenon. Obviously, we all feel uh, what it's like to not do what we say we're going to do. Uh, and yet, there is a deeper psychology here. And so that's really what I wanted to uncover with my book, Indistractable, is to help parents not only help their children become indistractable, because I believe that even though it's a very, very old problem, it has become easier to get distracted today than ever before. Meaning, if it is distraction you seek, distraction you will find. Because we are constantly <laughs> carrying around infinite possibilities for distraction in our pockets on our cell phones every day. Uh, so though it's not a new problem, uh, it, it is easier to succumb to distraction than ever before. But I also think that if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years, right? It's only going to become more distracting as we have more technology uh, that is made to be more pervasive and more persuasive in our daily lives. Uh, that, that problem is not going to let up. And so it's really, it really behooves us as parents to help our kids become indistractable so that they have this, what I call the skill of the century. Well, I hate to think what it's going to be like in a couple of years, and I don't like living in the future. So I think we should just stick with the now and uh, certainly try to help ourselves be less distracted now because the more we become skilled in this now, whatever comes down the pike in a couple of years, as, as you alluded to, won't be so scary. 
right? right. We'll already be so skilled that it won't distract us even more than we're already distracted. Right. And, and we have to remember too that, you know, our job as parents, we're not raising children, we're raising future adults. So it's one thing to, you know, come down with a heavy fist and make sure that your children do what you say they should do while you're in, while they're in your home. But of course, you know, children will eventually grow up and we need to train them with this skill set so that when they leave the household, they can manage their own attention in order to control their own lives. Well said. Absolutely. And I think one of the big things is as adults in their lives, we need to model beautiful skills in becoming less distracted ourselves. Because as you and I both probably see, we're, we're walking down the streets with our cell phones in our hands, distracted while we're walking. I know a lot of my family members walk down the street with their cell phones, no name mentioned. <laughs> um, and, and we'll walk into people. I mean, we, we're not even focused on the actual act of walking. So <laughs> it's, uh, and that's just a basic skill to walk across the street. And goodness gracious, we need to do that a little more often, focus on just that. Yeah. So share with us the beautiful story uh, that you shared in your book, um, your, if you don't mind, uh, yeah. your daddy-daughter moment and yeah. you know how that uh, refers to distraction. Yeah, absolutely. So I had uh, finished my first book, Hooked, which is all about how to build habit-forming products and with the idea of helping people build the kind of products and services that change people's lives for the better and help them form healthy habits. And uh, shortly after writing that book, I had this time with my daughter. I had a beautiful afternoon planned where we could just be together. And we had this activity book that daddies and daughters could kind of work through to, to you know, various activities that you could do, folding a paper airplane out of the book and answering various questions. And one of the questions, I remember verbatim what the question was. The question was, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question, but I can't tell you her answer. Because while she was answering, I started looking at my phone. I became distracted. And she got the message that she was less important than whatever was on my device. And she left the room. And I didn't notice that she left until I looked up from my screen and realized that she went to go play with something outside. And I felt horrible about that. And if I'm really honest with you, Sue, that wasn't the only time it happened. Uh, it happened on multiple occasions that I did this to my daughter. And, and furthermore, it also happened to other contexts. So for example, I would be out with friends and check my phone. I would be at you know, my desk. And instead of doing the thing I wanted to do, that, that project I've been procrastinating on, or the, the thing I knew I needed to get done today, I would do something else constantly. And it really bugged me because you know, there's that feeling of lying to yourself. It's one thing to lie to your, your family. It also feels horrible, but you know, we lie to ourselves every day. We say we're going to do something and we don't. And the problem isn't that we don't know what to do, right? We all know basically if we want to exercise, you got to hit the gym. If you want to eat right, we know basically what healthy food is and is not. Uh, if you want to have good relationships, you know that you have to be fully present with people. And if you want to do better at your job, you have to do the hard work. Why don't we do those things? And so what started originally as a study into how technology distracts us, I learned very quickly that the problem is much, much bigger than our technology, that it's really about the deeper psychology of distraction. And that was kind of the impetus of, of writing Indistractable because as I thought about this question that my daughter and I both were prompted in this book, my answer would be if I could have any superpower, it would be the power to be indistractable. I mean, imagine what you could accomplish every day 
if you just did what you said you would do, right? That, that you know, the, if you're like anything like I was, half my to-do list day in and day out would get recycled to the next day and the next day and the next day. It's craziness. And yet I did this all the time. And, and I'm proud to say after five years of researching this book, uh, diving into the psychology literature that's been published over, the, over many decades around uh, this problem, uh, there is an answer. Uh, and it, it is something that we can become. We actually all can become indistractable. I love the humanness that you're sharing here with your story. And I do have to ask you, because I can relate, you know, too, to being distracted. And uh, I think every human being can. Some of us are more distracted than others. So when you mention this as a superpower, I mean, I love to have the superpower every day, all day long. But I don't know if that's feasible to be completely non-distracted 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 52 weeks a year, or if, you know, there's some balance of keeping yourself on task, you know, with relationships, with your work, with whatever it is you plan, mm -hmm. and also being a human being that is occasionally, hopefully not regularly, distracted in life. Right. So it's important to, to, to be very specific about the, the terms. So in order to understand what we're talking about in terms of distraction, let's define what distraction is mm -hmm. not. So the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. So traction and distraction actually have the same Latin root, trahare, and they both end in the same six-letter word, action, A-C-T-I-O-N. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is dis traction, any action you do that pulls you away from what you plan to do with intent. So here's the thing. The time you plan to waste is not wasted time. If you want to meditate, to daydream, to paint, to pray, whatever it is you want to do that is consistent with your values, do it, but do it on your schedule. Because the fact is, you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So what I want folks to do is to be intentional about their values by turning their values into time. It means that in this day and age, it's no longer a luxury to keep a calendar, for God's sakes. Two-thirds of Americans don't keep a calendar, not just a calendar, a time box calendar where we account for every minute of our day. Not so that we can beat ourselves up when we fall off track, no, but for simply having some kind of ledger, some kind of record that we can look at and say, ah, Right now, I planned to do X, Y, Z, and I did it or I didn't do it, right? So anything that's on my calendar that I plan to do with intent, that's traction. Anything else is distraction. Even if it's reading a romance novel or going on a long walk or, or meditating, whatever it is you want to do, great, plan for it. Why? Because if you don't, you and I both know in this day and age, if we don't plan our time, somebody else will. Our kids, our boss, the news, uh, what the latest tweet, <laughs> something is going to eat up that time. And right. so it's a simple technique that has actually been found in thousands of peer-reviewed studies to be one of the first steps that we can take to make sure that we become indistractable is simply planning our time appropriately. And that's one of the four sections in the book that I talk about exactly how to do just that. I love that. Being one that lost her 2020 calendar this morning and can't seem to find it anywhere. I'm a big planner and I love, <laughs> you know, I love the idea that you're bringing forth for, for people listening, the intentional values, be intentional, be intentional about whatever you do. I That's think right. intention is something that 
uh, we tend to lack in the world today. And maybe Absolutely. that is why we're such a distracted society because we're not, we're not planning, we're being planned. Right, right. And, and here's the thing, people say, oh, but it's, it's so much work and I, I don't know, I want you know, time to be spontaneous. I don't know if I want to do that. Tough. You don't have to <laughs> chop your own wood to keep your house warm. You don't have to kill your own food anymore. In this day and age, in the 21st century, you have to plan your time. Or you know what? Don't complain about being distracted. Because if you don't plan your day, everything is a distraction. If you can't show me what it is you want to do with your time, don't be surprised if that time gets eaten up with you know, Facebook or Instagram or some other silliness. And that's the way it's always been. The people who want to control their attention and choose their life plan ahead. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. And that is a lesson we have to teach our kids. We can't stop blaming everything out there for doing it to us. You know, I hear so many parents saying, oh, the technology is addictive. There's nothing I can do. My kids just won't stop playing. Well, have you taken some of these basic steps like planning, help at how, teaching them how to plan their day after school? Have you taught them how to hack back these external triggers? Have you taught them to use these pre-commitment devices, these packs, what I call these, these, these packs, to help them make sure they stay in the task at hand, to stay focused? This is not rocket science. This is decades-old research that what I'm trying to do is to package for, for parents out there so that they can not only teach their kids how to become indistractable, but as you mentioned, we have to become indistractable ourselves. You know, if we know this is an important skill for our kids to learn, you can't tell your kids, stop playing Fortnite while you're flicking through email on your phone. So true. And, and we see this all over the world. We want our kids to stop doing something that, that we're modeling for them. So absolutely. It's just like if you're a junk food junkie and you have a whole closet full of junk food and you tell your kids not to eat junk food. Right. They know you're hiding the junk food <laughs> and they know where your hiding place is. So we have to be good role models. It's the only way. That's right. But I will say it's, I, I, I totally sympathize. Okay. I want to make sure people know out there. I wrote this book, not because I have good self-control, but because I wanted good self-control. I have always struggled with distraction my entire life and I was sick of it. And I wanted to figure out how to put it in its place without having to swear off this stuff, right? It's, it's like the same idea with, with uh, fad diets. You know, a lot of people will tell you, you need to go on a digital detox, a digital Sabbath, or, you know, a 30 day plan to stop using your device. That's silly for the same exact reason that going on a, a crash diet is silly, right? I, I, so I used to be clinically obese at one point in my life and I would go on these crash diets. Okay, 30 day, no fast food. You know what happened on day 31, right, Sue? I'd go crazy and make up for lost time. I need everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do with our technology, right? With these distractions. So what we need to do is to figure out a way to get the best out of these technologies without letting them get the best of us. And look, these products are brand new, right? They're teenagers. Facebook started in 2006. These are young companies. And we just haven't adopted these new ways of, of living in order to put this stuff in its place. And so it's not, it's not anybody's fault, okay? Nobody out there listening to this, and get, in case Mark Zuckerberg is listening, <laughs> nobody out there invented these products okay it's not your fault but it is your responsibility because Absolutely. these products are not going away and we don't want them to go away they can be terrific tools if we know how to put them in their place it's living side by side with them and you know i talk to parents all over the world about embracing whatever it is whatever electronic device is within your home embracing it in a way that you can move forward with it not trying to fight it and fear it because the fear 
is always going to be there. These items and more, as you suggested, will continue to be out there. So it's how to live with. That's right. Alongside, like your neighbor, and get along peacefully in an intentional practice. So that leads me to ask you a little bit about the human psyche in reference to our children. Mm -hmm. So you write in your book, because I think these are really key to talk about and bring out for our audience. You write in your book about how important it is to nourish our children's psyche and the three essential psychological ingredients for our kids. Can you share with our listeners what these are and why these are so important? Absolutely. So I have to preamble here a little bit that I did not like what I found. <laughs> so <laughs> I really wanted a boogeyman. I have to admit, uh, I really wanted something to tell me it wasn't my responsibility, that it was something doing it to my kid. But the more I dug into the, the psychology of why we get distracted, and particularly why kids get distracted, it turns out that all human motivation is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort. Meaning that, that everything we do is an escape from some kind of uncomfortable sensation, whether it's boredom, loneliness, fatigue, fear, uncertainty, that's what prompts us to do things. And we seek relief from these devices, right? And so what we find, and this is 40-year-old research by Desi and Ryan, this is called self-determination theory. And this is the most widely researched and well-accepted theory of human motivation out there. Desi and Ryan say that in order for psychological flourishing, every human being on the face of the earth requires three things. They require a sense of competency, autonomy, and relatedness. And so I call these, I dub these psychological nutrients because I like the way that, you know, everybody knows the, the, the macronutrients for our body, right? Protein, fat, and carbohydrates, the three macronutrients. And so these are what I call the psychological nutrients. And it turns out the more I dug into this problem of technology and distraction when it comes to our kids, I discovered that our kids are deficient in these three psychological nutrients. So starting with competency. One of the things that's happened over the past several years is this rise in standardized testing to a ridiculous degree. And what this has caused, and by the way, this occurred around the same time that the iPhone started gaining uh, mass adoption, or smartphones in general started uh, gaining mass adoption. What's happened is that our kids are constantly taught to the test by teachers, and they're constantly being standardized tests. And so what that tells a subset of kids, not all kids, it tells a certain number of kids they are not competent. By constantly testing them with these, these rigid tests, they don't feel competent. Well, competency is one of our core human needs. And so where do kids go when they don't feel competent in the real world? They go to the virtual world. They go on uh, Minecraft or, or Roblox or whatever other game they might be playing where they feel competent. They feel in control and masters of this environment. Autonomy. You know, we know that this is the most overscheduled regulated generation in American history. That uh, uh, the studies of Peter Gray show that children today in America have twice as many restrictions placed, uh, sorry, 10 times as many restrictions placed on them as an adult, twice as many restrictions on the average child as an incarcerated felon. There are only two places in society where we can tell people where to go, what to think, what to eat, who to be friends with, and that's prison and school. And so What's happened, it used to be at least, okay, you were in school all day, but then you could come home and you could play. Well, that's not the case anymore. Today in America, our kids are either hyper-scheduled between Kumon and swimming and Taekwondo and you know, all of this stuff, test prep, 
after school, they're constantly either being coached or monitored all the time. And there's no time for free play or for parents who can't afford that kind of stuff. You know, we've been scared silly by the media into thinking that our kids are going to be abducted, right? Teach them stranger danger. And so parents keep their kids indoors. So there's no time for free play. And that lack of play is corrosive. It's psychologically corrosive. Kids need time for free play because that's where they learn their place in the world. And so when kids don't get a sense of autonomy in the world, when they don't feel like they can control their time and their actions, they're constantly being told what to do all day. They look for it elsewhere. Well, where do they find it? Well, Fortnite makes them feel like God. Right. right? And that's where they can get their psychological nutrients met. And then finally, relatedness. So along with this you know, this started in the 1950s, that play has been declining in the United States since the 1950s. Part of what we're losing is this, this relatedness that kids have with each other. So play, free play, without the supervision of parents and coaches, this is where kids learn their place in the world. It's one thing if a parent tells you what to do. It's another thing if a friend tells you, hey, you know what? If you're not nice to me, I'm not going to be nice to you. We're not going to play, okay? So you have to shape up. You know, you're not the center of the universe. That's where kids learn that stuff. That's where they get relatedness. That's where they understand others and are understood themselves. But when kids don't get time to feel relatedness, well, guess where they go? Social media, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All of these products give kids what they're looking for. They're looking for relatedness. And by the way, it's not too different from what we used to do, hanging out on the phone for hours on end a generation ago. It's the same psychological need. So if we parents keep putting Band-Aids on the problem and thinking that it's just the technology without addressing the deeper needs, the deeper psychological components, which by the way, are not that hard to fix. Simple stuff like scheduling time for your kid to have free play with another parent who has similar values. That is psychologically one of the best things you can do for your child is to let them be kids, for God's sakes. Let them play without a coach around. That is something that we should put in our day. And you will see when kids have the choice to play, they don't want the technology as much. The only reason they keep going back to this technology is because we have trained them to expect there's nothing else to do. You can't put your kid indoors and expect them to just sit around and read Shakespeare. That's not going to happen. It's never happened, right? Kids in threat history have never just decided to do something educational in their free time. Read a book. Come on, give me a break. You didn't do that either as a kid. I'm guessing I certainly didn't. No, no, no. Right. You know, but, but I think, you know, you've hit such an important, these three ingredients are so important, not only for the things that you mentioned, but they also build intrinsic motivation. When our children feel competent, a sense of autonomy and relatedness on their own, without us structuring it every minute of the day or the schools, they start to flourish from the inside out. Right. They intrinsically feel motivated. They might feel motivated to go out and build a fort if mm. we allow them that free time to spend outdoors with their friends. I agree. I mean, my, my family used to open up the door, and this is my memory, at, you know, eight, nine in the morning and, you know, unlock it again at five. And we were outside all day being curious and playing with free time, nature, exploring, feeling competent in our world. Mm -hmm. So they're turning to these other things because they don't have the structure of these ingredients. 
That's the right. nurturing of these ingredients. So it's, I it's, use the word structure loosely because it's unstructured structure. <laughs> right. No, that's actually true. I, I love that. I, I love that very idea that we have to plan time for spontaneity in a way, right? To let kids mm-hmm. be spontaneous and have free play. We have to plan that time just as diligently as we would plan test prep or a baseball league or whatever else. You know, we'll drop everything to take a kid to a soccer game. Why don't we do the same when it comes to the most important thing you can do for your kid's psychological well-being? make time for free play. You know, there's a a case study in the book where I talk about children from Guatemala who were studied as part of this extensive uh, multi-decade study. And they found, fascinatingly enough, the kids who had the least amount of of traditional schooling actually had the most self-control, which doesn't make sense, right? You would think, well, aren't kids practicing self-control in school all day? No. In fact, in school, you don't practice self-control. You have a rigid system where you're told what to do all day. It's the kids who had to learn the skill for themselves around how to moderate their, their behavior, how to, how to temper their impulses. Because they had more freedom, those were the kids who had the skill to actually pay attention for longer times. And so what we're doing essentially, the, the theory goes at least, is that we are stunting our kids by not giving them the opportunity to control their own attention as opposed to we constantly telling them between teachers, coaches, and parents telling them what to do. We're not letting them build the skill for themselves. I completely agree. And I think that's why we're seeing more and more micro schools and homeschooling popping up because we need to get out of this institutionalized raising of our children, whether it's home, in the schools, in the sports, it's all fairly institutionalized. And I think, I mean, I'm not saying homes are institutionalized, uh, but I think that you've hit a really, several really important uh, facets and things for people to take away that we really need to empower our children in their own lives so that they can flourish and feel nurtured by making some choices and doing some things on their own that aren't being controlled for them. Right. And, and I want to, I want to be very clear. This might sound hopeless. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it is. I don't think it's hopeless at all. And and I'm not saying everybody should take their kid out of school. It's a fact of life, right? We Mm -hmm. don't have the luxury to all homeschool. I, I totally appreciate that fact. However, there are some things we, we can do, starting with understanding these internal triggers. That's the first step. What is the, we have to ask ourselves, what's the psychological discomfort our kids are looking to escape from? Let me tell you, if your kid is constantly turning to their device and they can't stand sitting around and, and doing anything else, the problem isn't just their phones. There's something else going on that they're looking to escape from. And so that's the first step. The second step is to make time for traction, to involve them in deciding how much time they want to spend with their screens. Screens aren't evil. They're not melting anybody's brain. The idea here is, look, the cost of screen time is an opportunity cost and nothing more. It's time spent away from other things you could be doing, playing with your friends, uh, consuming a different form of media like a book or television or something else, being with us, parents. That's the price of too much screen time. So it's about scheduling their time as well as scheduling your time for when is the appropriate amount of time uh, for, uh, for playing a video game or, or using an app or something. Then third, we wanna hack back the external triggers. So. Uh, you know, many times I, I hear from parents who say, well, when is the appropriate time to give a kid a device? And the, the, the metaphor I like to use is the swimming pool. You know, swimming pools are incredibly dangerous, right? Kids can drown in swimming pools, but we're not going to keep our kid out of the pool forever. No, we teach them how to swim. And yet with devices, we just hand them over because they say, mommy, daddy, please, I want it. And all the other kids have it. We say, okay, and we give it to them. Well, no, if you're not ready for that device, you shouldn't be using it, just like you shouldn't be jumping into the swimming pool unless you're ready. So what's the test of readiness? Do you know how to use it properly? 
Do you know how to use do not disturb function when you're studying? Do you know how to uh, put it away when your friends come over? Do you know how when we sit together at the dinner table, there are no devices so that we can actually enjoy each other's company? If you can't demonstrate that you know how to use the, pro the device properly, you haven't learned how to swim yet. Uh, so that's just the tip of the iceberg, but there's a lot, a lot more in the book that we could discuss there. And then finally, we can do what's called making a pact. We can teach them how to not only keep distractions out, but also how to keep themselves in by making what's called a pre-commitment pact uh, to, to make sure that they don't get distracted when they say they're going to do, do one thing and there's the potential of them getting distracted to do something else. So those are the four steps. And beautifully stated, I, I really think it comes back to what you shared earlier is that we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional with values about the things that we're doing with our children and the things that we're doing with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I also didn't mean to allude to, uh, to our schools being, you know, places that are horrendous for children. They're places of learning, but mm -hmm. they are very structured so that when our children come home from a structured environment, they need less structure, not more structure. Mm -hmm. And we need to be intentional with what that looks like, incorporating our children in the discussion empowering our children to be part of solutions to things that might concern us, not looking at them at the, as the problem or looking at the technology as the problem. Absolutely. Everything has a place and a balance, right? Right, right. And, and when we, it turns out when we have these restrictions where we say, this is what we are imposing upon you, whether you like it or not, and we don't involve them, well, then what does that do to their sense of autonomy and control, right? We know that that's fundamental for psychological well-being. And so when we squash that, of course, they're going to rebel, right? <laughs> We're right. begging for it. They're going to cheat. We're incentivizing them to cheat. Whereas opposed to when we have a conversation about it and be vulnerable, there's nothing wrong with telling your kids, look, I struggle with this. I'm constantly tempted to check my email, to go on Facebook. I'm struggling with with this as well because look there's some very smart people in silicon valley who are making these tools to be engaging that's what they're designed to do we understand that but that doesn't mean we can't outsmart those people that we can't take steps to make sure we don't get uh, unduly distracted so we can do this together so one of the first questions we asked my daughter when it came to uh, tech use and by the way some of her first words were ipad time ipad time when she was two years old she was constantly asking for ipad time and then when she got a little older, she got about five years old, and we simply asked her, we said, look, how much time do you think is appropriate to spend with screens? You know, she, she used to love watching Netflix uh, episodes, age-appropriate content, of course. You know, that's, that's common sense. Don't let your kid consume <laughs> content that they're not ready for. But how much time is appropriate? So we asked her, we said, look, there's all this other stuff you want to do with your day. Spend time with friends, go outside, do, you know, uh, educational things, be with us. How much time do you want to spend on your device? At five years old, she said two episodes. Because in her mind, two episodes, oh, that's kind of that's nice if I could do two episodes a day. Well, two episodes on Netflix is about 45 minutes, okay? I got no problem with 45 minutes. Not one study has shown any deleterious effects to age-appropriate extracurricular screen time of two hours or less. Not one study, right, of a certain age, right? We know that kids under two years old, uh, the APA recommends no screen time, but at five years old, uh, 45 minutes, uh, even two hours or less is not going to hurt a child as long as it's age appropriate. So we said, fine, but here's the thing. You have to monitor that amount of time. Mommy and daddy aren't going to do it. The, the Netflix is definitely not going to do it for you. How are you going to make sure that you adhere to the rule you yourself set? So she thought a little bit and she came up with a solution. We used to have this microwave that was at her level. It was below the counter, this microwave, this pullout microwave, and she could come up to the microwave and type in 45 minutes on the timer. It took her just a couple buttons. And then the, the, the timer was telling her it's time to stop, not daddy or mommy. 
So I'm not the bad guy. It's something that she herself set for. And we said, you know, look, if, if, if you fall off track too much and we see you're abusing this, well, we're going to have to have another conversation. But she's 11 years old and we've never had to have that conversation because she has now learned that skill, uh, this routine of monitoring herself. So today she doesn't use a microwave. She actually uses technology to tell her when it's time to stop using technology. It comes built in. Apple screen time. Uh, sometimes she'll call out to Amazon Alexa and say, you know, set the timer for 45 minutes and she can enjoy. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it because she can monitor herself now. I love how you have empowered her. And, you know, this is probably a conversation I have every day worldwide with a client or more about incorporating kids in the discussion, in the monitoring, in the, the amount of screen use, in what screen use, because the more we incorporate, educate, and discuss together, the less they feel controlled. And I can tell you from my own experience, my kids are young adults now, that controlling does not work. Mm -hmm. I used to try to control the screens when my kids were young and my older daughter, you know, really related to them, we'll say. And, um, and she would come down at night when I was asleep and take her phone or the computer or whatever. So there was so much control put around this that she snuck. Mm -hmm. And so when we incorporate, you know, the discussion with our children and make them part of finding a way through a solution. And as you also said, be honest, it is hard for us. They, they know that too. They can see that too. So when we're honest and sharing that as human beings, one human to another, mm -hmm. I think it really makes a big difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So what, what a beautiful amount of information that you've shared with all of our listeners today. I'm curious if you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share, like to tell our listeners where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. So the book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And if you go to, sorry about the siren in the background here. I'm not sure if you can hear that. I live in New York City. So unfortunately, that's <laughs> a fact of life. But anyway, I'll talk over it. So the, the website where you can get all kinds of free tools and resources, including a, a video course, as well as this 80-page workbook that I couldn't fit into the book. The publisher said it was too long, but it's a very helpful workbook to help you become indistractable. All of that is available at indistractable.com. That's I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E. So indistractable.com. Awesome. And I can attest it is a phenomenal book. So get your copy and uh, I'm sure you will enjoy it as much as I am. So thank you so much again for joining and sharing all your wisdom. Thank you, Sue. It was a real pleasure. I really appreciate the great questions. Oh, it's been fun. And thank you all for listening. Remember, every day and every moment is a new moment for Conscious Connections. Thanks for listening to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.